Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. As always, thank you for listening. This podcast is the audio from a special virtual community meetup featuring licensed clinical social worker and grief counselor Kelly Grosglogs. On Metastatic Breast Cancer Awareness Day, Kelly helped community director Melissa Jenkins lead this meetup on the losses people feel after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. We hope this podcast brings some hope and comfort to people living with metastatic disease. Hello, everybody. My name is Kelly Grosslocks. For those of you that I don't know, I, I recognize some of the names and the faces. I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I am honored, truly honored to be here on this Metastatic Breast Cancer Day to meet with you. I am a therapist who specializes in oncology and grief and loss, and I am the founder, for some of you that may follow me on social media, it's Conversations with Kelly on Facebook and then see my grief on Instagram. Before we start, I'll also let you know that I have a podcast titled See My Grief. So if you're a podcaster, um, something you may want to check out. So we thought today we could get together and talk about honoring the losses that many people feel uh, after the diagnosis of cancer. And then particularly, what are some of the uniqueness of living with metastatic breast cancer? I do not live with metastatic breast cancer but for close to 30 years have worked with several women around the globe with metastatic breast cancer and have paid very close attention to things that have been said to me and things that have been shared with me. My hope for today is for us to really have interactive conversations. The last time we did a, a meetup, um, we had several comments, several questions that came through, and I, I want to almost pretend like we're together in person, in that we're we're around chairs in a circle, having tea, having coffee, and so to try and make this as intimate as possible would be would be great. Everything that is said here is confidential. Please, as um, Melissa said, it may be recorded in terms of using information, but. Like I noticed on the last one, there's not identifiers, you know, your names, those types of things. It's just maybe sound bites. And I heard from lots of people last time that it was quite helpful that breastcancer.org turned this into a podcast. So I want to be able to really address what you want to hear. So that's why we're going to open it up more for conversation. But before I do that, uh, one of the things I would like to do is light a candle in honor of all of you showing up today, I can only imagine what it took for some people to get here, you know, whether you have small kids, grandkids, uh, jobs, horrible fatigue, neuropathy, whatever it may be, uh, depression, and that you showed up today. And that's like a win for all of you today. And I really want to say that I honor that. But when I light this candle, I want this to be maybe some light that can come into a moment of darkness. So you know right now what you are wrestling with or struggling with, and maybe it's not even related to the breast cancer. Maybe it's related to a child who's struggling with mental health. Maybe it's related to finances, whatever that may be. But let's just collectively light this candle that I will leave burning 
in your honor and may that light come um, to each of you today and bring some love. So honoring our losses, let's start out real quick with just a, an educational thing about what loss and grief are. So loss is the event. Loss is often a one-time thing. Somebody dies, there's a diagnosis, a divorce, somebody loses their job. It's kind of a, an infinite one-time thing. Grief is our reaction to that loss. And that can go on and have layers and layers and layers. So society has it backwards. Society has grief as an event in that we're supposed to kind of have a beginning, a middle, and an end to this. And that's not how it goes. Loss is the event. Then there's mourning, which is what we show the world and what we show our people externally. So if you're angry, if you're crying, if you're sad, if you're fearful, and you're expressing it outwardly, that's mourning. And so I just want to try to give us just kind of a little thing. And so the diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer is the event. As a relationship or as a, as a reaction to that, you have likely experienced multiple losses. Maybe it's you couldn't go on a vacation. Maybe it's a loss of innocence. Maybe it's the loss of the ability to enjoy food. Maybe it is I've been around many women and men with metastatic breast cancer, and I am very aware of the multiple losses that people experience every day through the community. 116, I think, is the actual number that I heard the last time. It may even be higher. But the amount of friends that you make in this community and that you get attached to and that die, whether in support group, online, at conferences, in person, wherever you get to know people, is a significant loss. And it's a multiple loss when our friends and family don't understand why we are so attached and why this is so hard for us. You know, I, I was working one time with a woman who said, I got more attached to this person, and she said her name, than I've ever been to a family member. And the ironic thing is I've never met her in person, but she was the one I would text in the middle of the night when I was up after steroids. She's the one that would know when I would go to her after chemotherapy and say, the treatment is no longer working. I'm very scared that we're at a different treatment point. She really was the only one that understood this. And when she died, I had such bereavement and such grief. But what was so hard is my family disenfranchised it. They were saying things like, you didn't even know her. You've only known her a year. Da, 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 and all these things. And so we have to be very mindful that if we feel grief, it's legit. And grief isn't just about death. Grief is about all these ambiguous losses that we may feel that aren't necessarily tangible. But I just want to start this conversation off by saying, if you feel grief, please know that it's legitimate and you don't have to explain it to anybody. One of the things when I work with my patients is I'll say to them, it's not our job to make another person understand our grief story or to make another person comfortable or us have to justify. It's not our job to do that. So let me just start off by saying 
that you're all welcome here and all of what you're experiencing is valid. I imagine you're coming here today because you're experiencing some grief. You saw the title and you thought, hmm, that resonates. I want to come check it out. So that's what I want to say is whatever we're going to talk about today, and you might not even know that what you're experiencing is called grief. And with grief can come anxiety. I think the majority of you are very familiar with anxiety before scans, before labs, the anxiety of even opening up your closed Facebook group in the morning and seeing possibly what happened overnight with the patient or the people that are in that group, attending support group and being scared because somebody didn't show up, depression because lack of energy. I hear many people talk about feeling like a burden, you know, and because metastatic breast cancer has turned into a cancer that people can live longer with, some people will say, I, I must have used up all my support early on because nobody's calling me anymore at year five or year seven or year eight, or nobody's asking me if they, if they can give me rides anymore. Everybody came in in the beginning, but where is everybody now? And that can be a form of grief. That loss of who you thought were your people, and they maybe aren't there as much. Or people aren't asking you necessarily how you're doing anymore. And you know, if you dare wear lipstick, no one's going to ask you. And that's kind of a, a running joke in the oncology when I talk, when I train oncologists. And they'll say, well, I think she was doing really well. She had her lipstick on today and she had this nice sweater. And I think that's the thing I see with metastatic disease sometimes too, is that people might not feel as good on the inside as they look on the outside. And I think that that's just something for all of us to be aware of. Families might say, well, you looked really good. I didn't think anything was going on. And so much of the losses that are experienced in metastatic disease, I think too, can be very can be silent and hidden. They may not necessarily be outwardly. So I would like to open this up and start having discussion. I do see one comment here, um, and I and I really do love if you can verbally ask if that's possible, and and with cameras off, like uh, Melissa said, if you're comfortable. I really want this to feel like as supportive and as intimate as possible. If it's not possible, that's okay too. Certainly write it. But I would love for us to be able to verbally. So I'm going to look at Francie's question right here. My question is about a recent development because I will be starting with my fifth year with MBC. And this year I've learned a lot about my personal medical journey. My sadness is that I am on my fifth line of treatment and I'm worrying that there are not many new medicine infusion chemo choices remaining for me. I'm only as good as my medicine. Great sadness and worry about this. So I think there's some truth in that the disease maybe is only as good as the medicine. But I will say that I don't believe people are only as good as their medicine. So I think you're a person who is beyond any line of treatment. And I, you know, I have great empathy for this anxiety. It's just that it's kind of people sometimes live in three month increments, you know, whether it's between scans or between lab results or let's give it three months, let's give it six months. 
One of the things that may be helpful for you, Francie, and, and others is that, you know, there's so much living in the uncertainty and in the unknown, right, when you live with metastatic disease. One of the things that I have found to be very true, whether it's about cancer, whether it's about whatever we worry about, is that our unknown will become our known eventually. And when we get to that known, whether it's a new treatment, a new protocol, a new job, whatever it is, there will be a team of people that will help us through that. You are currently, and I will sometimes say to people, like I was working with a gentleman who was in his second year of pancreatic cancer. And I said, what if I told you four years ago that you were going to be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer? What would you say? And he said, I would have probably said, there's no way I could do that. I couldn't tolerate it. I'd be so scared. And I said, isn't that interesting? Because you are. You are tolerating it. You are navigating it. And you are integrating what you're learning. And I think at some level, we have to remind ourselves that living in the future is very anxiety provoking and living in the past is very depressing. But Francie, when you get to the time that you're most fearful of, if that time comes in six months, in a year, in three years, you won't be alone navigating that. You won't be alone navigating that time. And I can understand why that feels scary because I know that each time we go down the treatment line, we feel like it's less and less hopeful. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's not as things are being discovered and released. But I think what sometimes causes us the most fear of the unknown and the uncertainty is that all of a sudden we're going to be abandoned and we're going to be dropped and no one's going to be around for us. No one's going to be here. Where's my medical team going to be? I think coming up with a mantra that keeps you in this moment right now. But I have to say, I think people are much more than their treatment. I think maybe the cancer is as good as the treatment, but I, and I don't know you, Francie, I mean, I can see your darling face. I don't know you, but I can see you. I bet you're so much more than your treatment. And I bet your person of who you are and your soul is much greater and more beautiful than any oral, IV, clinical treatment. I think that's the other thing is, and I see loss of self on here that Mary Jo said, that I hear a lot. We have to redefine who we are or we have to remember who we are. You can get really lost in your, you know, tumor marker of this. Your lungs are this, you're this, 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 and this, but who are you? I was doing a talk this week earlier, and there was a panel on there, and the woman who was living with metastatic breast cancer, it was so beautiful how she introduced herself. She did not start off with, she started off with her name. She did not follow by the fact that she was triple um, positive, and blah, blah. she followed with, she's a mother of a four-year-old. She loves to cook. She had all these descriptors, and then she got to breast cancer. And I remember profoundly calling that out with her and saying I really appreciated that because we have to remember who we are. And I think that's so important. In grief and in loss, we can forget that. We really can. So I would want and encourage all of you today to develop some kind of mantra that keeps you right here in this moment, right now. And when you find yourself going to the what ifs, 
come back to the what is. So I hope that was helpful. Other questions and comments, feel free to take yourself off mute too. I'd be happy for more tips on how to get from that um, what ifs to the what is the living day to day with positive outlook. I, I find it really hard that I can't ride my bike anymore. Absolutely. I can't go for long walks. But I haven't got past that yet. And it's been two years. Well, not quite a year and a half since diagnosis, but I find it very, very frustrating. Because it is. Because it is. And each day when you wake up and you still can't ride your bike, it doesn't matter if it's been five years or 10 years, it's still so hard, Mary Jo, and I'm sorry. And, you know, the thing is, is we keep getting told, make sure you exercise, make sure you do all this, make sure you do all that. And it's like, you know, who's writing these articles? <laughs> it's, it's so it's, it's frustrating. One of the things that I really encourage, and you just did it beautifully, Mary Jo, is I want you guys to be able to state somehow what, what you are struggling with what is hard, whether you say it out loud, whether you write it in a journal, whether you talk to your doctor. But the problem is, is that not enough of us are given opportunity to just say out loud what we're, what we're having a hard time with. And the thing is about people listening, we can't fix it, but we certainly can listen and provide you a safe space. I think one of the, the other things that's really important is to be really kind and gentle with the self because sometimes people will say, I can't do this, I can't do that. And then they'll follow it up with, if I was only doing something different, maybe I could. Am I doing something wrong? And I'm like, no, nobody's doing anything wrong. Now, I'm not a positive toxicity person. I don't, I don't prescribe to, if you just do this, you're going to feel that. That's, I, I, I'm sorry. If people like that, go for it. But I find it to be um, kind of shaming. Well, if you just think positively, it will be okay. That's not true because I know a lot of people that have thought positively their whole life and it's not okay. However, there's space for both your grief and gratitude for what you can continue to do. It's not either or. It's not either I can't ride my bike, therefore it's it's over. It's right now, I am really sad. I can't walk my bike and go for long walks. I'm really sad about that. And yes, I'm still grateful that I can get up in the morning and do whatever and let the two dance together for a while and see how that feels. You know, maybe you can't walk as far as you used to, but maybe you can walk. I'm sure many of you have heard the, the phrase and then a follow-up with, well, at least. I don't like those words because they immediately diminish. So I work a lot in the grief space. And when people will say, well, at least you're young enough to get married. Well, at least you can have another baby. Well, at least you didn't lose your hair. Well, at least blah, 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 blah. I don't like it. So I don't ever want to diminish, but I do want to highlight that there's always space for really acknowledging what we lose and what we grieve, as well as being gentle about ourselves, about what we continue to do. And, you know, if you're a bike rider and you can't ride your bike, the reality is that's a huge loss. It doesn't matter if you can walk to the mailbox or do whatever. I just, 
It's one I acknowledge. It's a huge loss. And that has been taken from you. It's not because you don't have the desire. It's because it's been taken. But the what is, is coming back and paying attention to senses. What am I hearing? What am I seeing? What am I noticing? All too often, we are not doing enough body scanning where we're noticing our shoulders, dropping them. Is our tongue on the top of our mouth likely dropping that? Yeah, Janine, I see that. Coming down the body, scanning it, and then where are our feet? Are they planted into the ground? If you're in bed, do you feel the bed on your back? Are you grounded in the now? And then one more thing that's really important, bring something into the now that brings you comfort. Is it your cat? Is it a blanket? Is it a smell? Do you really love the smell of oranges? Have that around. Do you love the sight of birds? Have pictures of birds. Turn on TV of birds. Watch YouTube videos of birds. But we have to come back to now. Because our brain is is able to have pleasure moments in those senses that bring us pleasure and ground us. And for a moment, that is putting into us all these beautiful chemicals and, and et cetera. The brain doesn't necessarily look at that bird and go, oh, that's a beautiful bird and knows how much it brings you and then says, but you still can't ride your bike. It's this thing of staying in the thing that brings us comfort. For some people, it's grandchildren. For some people, it's comfortable slippers. Surround yourself with the things that bring you comfort. And that's the what is. But we do not utilize the senses enough the hearing, the comforting voices, the beautiful sounds, the beautiful sights. So, but you know, after answering all that, still at the end of the day, Mary Jo, I'm so sorry that you're not able to ride your bike. I really am. And how frustrating it must feel to hear, just move your body and exercise. That's really good for you. Thank you for being brave enough to say something. Who else would like to comment? You have to take yourself off mute. Laura, I think that sometimes when, you know, we're dealing with breast cancer, we don't want to be in the moment. And sometimes the moment is hard. So we want to tap out. And I think that sometimes it's good to escape because the moment's too hard. And I think the tricks, the old bag of tricks of what we're supposed to follow, like it sometimes is just out the window with breast cancer because sometimes we want to look into the future where, you know, we might see somebody else in our support group that's doing well and that gives us hope. Or we might want to look to the future of a different medication that works better or, you know, improvement. So I think that in the moment sometimes is too painful. And um, I think that hope, I have mixed feelings about hope, but sometimes if we leave the moment and think about the future, we get a little bit more hope because I think that there's just so many opposing feelings and contrasting feelings in breast cancer that we all experience. And I think that's the challenge to kind of like figure a way and it's always changing and like holding both. Like for example, our relationship with our medications, we don't want to go on them and we're scared and we think of all the side effects and we hate the side effects. But then if we need to take a break 
or whatever side effect, then we're scared because we're like, we become believing that the medication is going to help us. And so we have all these conflicting relationships with things like being in the moment is hard sometimes. So we want to watch Netflix or, you know, we want to tap out sometimes because it, it feels better. And I think that's the challenge. It's like you want to sometimes appear healthy, but then you want people to know what you're going through. And so it's like this idea of how the heck do you hold all these opposing things? You know, maybe you want to show up to your doctors with lipstick and a nice sweater, but at the same time, you want them, you want to be able to describe um, all you're going through. So I think that that is like what's so hard for us. And even being in this in these support groups and forming relationships and getting to know people like you know sometimes my friends will be like well why would you want to expose yourself to that because of this like we can see what might happen to us which is you know the friends that we have on the support groups die or we can see like the whole range of things so i think that is the challenge and also the grief that everything's thrown up in the air and it's like we have to hold all these contrasting feelings and it's very challenging and it's changing all the time and so it's hard to come up with a bag of tricks that works well laura i think you said it so beautifully and you know another thing that i have found is sometimes what works one day doesn't the next and i and i think that 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 can be such a loss in and of itself like yesterday this made me feel good why isn't this making me feel good i totally understand what you mean about the moment is hard and i i I, when i work with trauma people on trauma who have witnessed um suicides or whatever the moment they want to live in the moment because the moment is so difficult so what we do is we try to make the moment comfortable like I was talking about. And if, if you're thinking about the future and it brings you hope, go there. 100% go there. Because that ultimately is impacting your moment. You're sitting in this moment at noon. You're thinking about next week or next year planning a vacation and or this possible clinical trial that you're going to be. And it's bringing you hope and feelings of support and love. Absolutely go there. I'm more talking about the thinking forward and not having the hope and all that. And I, and of course that's important. We want to acknowledge that, but that's where we have to, because we haven't arrived at that moment yet. And so we don't know what this clinical trial is going to be. We don't know if the treatment's going to fail the person or not, you know, and by the way, people don't fail treatments, treatments fail people. So um, I, I'm very clear on that when I educate physicians and healthcare providers don't ever say, unfortunately, you know, the patient has failed this treatment. Uh, I hate that language. And it's not true. The patient has not. The patient's done everything in their power to make this go. And so I'm 100% with you. If you're thinking about the future, and sometimes I'll have people actually do that. I'll have people visualize. I'll have people visualize and man, almost try to like manifest, like, what do you want that? Because they'll say, I don't even know if I'm going to be here next next week for or next year for my twins when they graduate from high school. Well, let's sit with that and let's manifest that because we haven't gotten there yet. So we don't know. But if it makes you feel good to imagine them walking across the stage and that you're there for that, absolutely, Laura. I mean, absolutely. And you're right. The moment can be really scary. And a lot of people can almost dissociate. 
I was interviewed once about, do I think that being diagnosed with cancer is like PTSD? And my answer was yes, especially with metastatic, because you are constantly having to walk out onto the, the field of where you have to deal with this. And so it can bring on PTSD. PTSD is not just about war. It's not just about people who've gotten in car accidents. It's not just about people who've been raped. It is about that, but it's it's anything that's happened to you that has made you almost feel hypervigilant or scared or your safety is threatened. And I would say metastatic breast cancer falls under that line. Absolutely. And any feeling can make people anxious, feelings in the body. You know, the one thing I've noticed, women in particular who have metastatic breast cancer know their bodies pretty well and know when things are off. But sometimes anxiety can make us misread things. Like the symptom is real, but it may not be related to the breast cancer. However, it can it can mimic that. And I think that that becomes almost part of PTSD, that kind of hypervigilance of what is going on in the body, what is going on in the body. Is it typical for most people with MBC to find your body feels different day in? Yes. I, well, let me say this. From what I've been told, yes, I don't know that firsthand. I think the majority of you can answer that question much better from Mary Jo. And I also like what Annie said, minute by minute. You know, I've had people be so disappointed because they've woken up in the morning and felt really, really okay. And they've got a big event they want to go to at night and they can't go. And so that was very hard for them because, you know, you take for granted that if you wake up in the morning and you feel good, you're not thinking about, well, will I still feel good tonight if you don't have metastatic disease or a chronic disease. This can also apply to other diseases. So I would say absolutely. And do the things that makes your body feel the best in the moment. Is it a bath? What can you do with your energy? Again, I am very into things that are sensing because I, you know, a soft blanket, I see that Patricia's holding something soft. And I think that's so darling. And I think those are important things that bring comfort, a hot mug of tea or coffee. But what brings you comfort? I would love other people to talk about that because you are the ones living with that. So is that is that fair to say that your body feels different day by day, hour by hour. Does anybody want to, Anita, would you mind saying something? Because I know you're shaking your head. Yeah, I, uh, the same, that exactly hit home because sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh, this is a good day. I feel great. You know, I would get up and I do things and around one in the afternoon, all I want to do is go back to bed, okay. you know, and, you know, I just sort of drag myself through the rest of the day and, yeah, I mean, it's just you feel ripped off because you were expecting to have this energetic day and it didn't happen the way you wanted. <clears throat> so, that's a, yeah, that's quite a profound and very true statement. You feel ripped off. And how does your family, uh, anyone can answer this, but Anita, I just want to put you on the spot. Your family are your friends. Do you feel pressure to have good days? No, well, I think right at this point in my life, I feel like everybody around me understands pretty well. I mean, they're very flexible as far as what I want to do. And if I need to scale back on our plans, they're okay with that. 
So I feel really lucky that way. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I do have a friend that could not understand why I was involved in that this support group because I told, I was like, oh, I'm so sad today because two women in our group died. And she's like, is that helpful? How is that helpful to you? And she goes, I would think a little denial would be helpful. And I was like, hey, you don't get it, you know? And I got mad at her and I was like, you don't understand. You know, it's not always people don't die every week. You know, it's just this one time and I'm allowed to feel sad. And she kind of backpedaled and she said, oh, you're right. I don't get to have an opinion on this is what she said. And, um, you know, she's a good friend, but she just didn't understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's a little bit of a segue, but. Well, no, I think that it sounds like your friends and Laura's friends could hang out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Probably a lot of friends. You know, I, I've heard that when my patients would come in and they said, They'd say, I'm getting a lot of flack from my friends that don't have metastatic cancer. They think it's silly. I go to this group every night or every week. They think it's silly that that I've gotten close to these people knowing that I might lose them. And in a way, though, it's, you know, yes, they have metastatic breast. I had a patient, Judy Erdahl, who lived with metastatic breast cancer. It's just beautiful. And she said, you know, I know everybody says you could get hit by a bus tomorrow. She said, I happen to just be laying in the yellow line in the middle of the road, you know, kind of thing. And she just, she had this humor about it because her friends would say to her, well, I could get hit by a bus, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she said, well, it's not quite the same. I mean, that's true. But I think also when it comes to relationships, there's a lot that is gained in these metastatic relationships that are made. There's a lot that is gained. And yes, love is risky and relationships are risky. But from what I've seen, I don't know, it's priceless to be able to send somebody a message on, on Messenger or to sit in a group with people that are across the globe and have them acknowledge you. I just, I personally, I, I do think if you need to take a break sometimes, that's absolutely okay. And people sometimes have to. But I would never say as a rule of thumb, don't attend these. Because what I've seen from the psychological benefits of these groups, it would be hard pressed to say they're, you know, stay away. Maybe the one, you sound lucky, um, Anita, that you have people that understand, but. I have really good friends. <laughs> Constantly mm -hmm. thankful for them. Janine, did you want to say? Yeah, I do. I find this, this group, it's a um, loss for me for the week. I think it's so important to listen to, mainly I think for me, it's to listen to what people are going through and certainly to share your own story is important. I think my future is every three months. So each time I go get scans, I see what's happening. And it hasn't been great these four years. I mean, I keep progressing and then I go back a little bit and I progress. But I have to say this really since I was diagnosed the second time with breast cancer since I moved to Iowa to be near my daughter, I think I've been the happiest in my life in terms of recognizing my ability to live with this disease. I think I've done pretty good. I've been very lucky with side effects. So I haven't been very sick for most of the time I've been on chemos and whatever else. But I thought yes, just yesterday I was thinking that I couldn't ask for anything more from my family and my friends. And 
in the life that's around me. So I'm glad we're here and I'm glad we're talking about this, but I just love everybody on this page because we're all together and, but we're separate. We do things differently, but somehow we all connect to the same fucking piece of shit that we're stuck with, which is metastatic breast cancer. I'm saying that in behalf of Karen, who loves to use the F word. Thank you for that. Thank you for you being here. It's very interesting. Thank you for sharing. I'm so happy that you're that you're happy right now. And you know <laughs> what a profound thing you just said about learning how to live with this fucking disease, so to speak, right? You know, it, it is that I and it depends on where you're at from you were diagnosed and in all this, but it is a it's ever changing. I mean, some days people feel like, yeah, I got this. And some days they don't, and that's okay. And what we need is the people that are going to ride those waves with us. The metaphor I like to use is whether it's whatever you're experiencing. So we'll say metastatic breast cancer is like an ocean and in that is waves and they're big and they're huge. And sometimes they're, you know, they're bigger than we are, but we also know in waves, if we don't just kind of almost surrender and let them take us to where we're going, if we go backwards and try to get off, it can be, can be harder, but the waves will always subside. And the most important thing I want you to think about is who is on your shore. Who's on your shore waiting to hold you and support you. Sometimes it's very unexpected people. And I never diminish when people say to me, I'm very close to my neighbor. Okay. That's a very important person or their doctor or their nurse practitioner, or someone in their group, or their fifth cousin, you know, but who do you have on your shore? And that's who you stay very, very finitely focused on when you're in these waves that feel so insurmountable. And I can speak from a grief standpoint. I had a very tragic loss when I was 11. It was my mother. And there have been times these waves feel overwhelming to me. And I have to stay very focused. For some people, it's fate. For some people, it's the group, whatever it may be. But what is your shore? And stay focused on that and go to that and know that you're going to be led there. And I think that that's what's really important. Does anybody in the group currently have younger children in the house? I'm just wondering if anybody has kids in the house. Or Linda? I don't. <laughs> and that's the loss for me. That's the one thing that... Um... I just have to live with now. Um, but <clears throat> I had early stage breast cancer and I just turned 30 and I reached a massive milestone recently and finally turned 40 and never thought I'd reach 40, but, um, oh. here I am. So lovely, so happy, you know, and then uh, another milestone, I had 10 year anniversary the other day with my husband. So Wonderful. lots of massive milestones. So I am. Humbly grateful for it and honored. And at the same time, it's a big loss that, you know, I've always wanted to have children. I used to teach, uh, so I did get to experience looking after children, I suppose. But, um, you know, I feel like a very big part of what it is to be a, a human being, a woman in particular, is to have an offspring to breastfeed, not my breast tried to kill me, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. 
So it's uh, it's something that comes up a lot, and um, but I manage, I, I'm still able to live happily. And again, it's it's there. That pain is there. It's real. Um, people, not everyone can understand it. It's a bit upset when people ask if I have kids. So it, it's a very loaded issue. So I thought I'd raise my hand because I do look young. I am young, but cannot have kids. Yeah. Well, that, the reason I was asking if anyone has kids, because that's a whole um, another layer that people want to talk about. You not having children and not being able to biologically have children, I guess, is, is the thing is is a huge loss. And I think that that pang of the loss will probably always kind of be there subtly, even if you're, as you say, living a happy life. And I think that's what's important is to remember there's space in our lives for all of it. Like that grief can exist and that sadness all while you're living this happy life, you know? And so we don't have to pick one or the other emotion. Erlinda, you get to have that. And and I would imagine there's times it comes up stronger for you, you know? And, um, and I just hope you have people that can hold that space for you. And, and sometimes I really encourage people, if they're women, to really mother yourself and if they're fathers, to really father themselves, whatever that may be. But to be really gentle around that, not have to explain it away. You know, and when people say, well, aren't you glad you're living? You know, I, again, I, I don't prescribe to that kind of stuff. I think there's, the reality is there's room for all of it. Yeah, you're glad you're living. Yeah, you're glad you had 10 years with your husband. And you still get to be sad. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, thank you. I definitely believe in dialectics. Yes. How the negating things can coexist. So that's how I've been. In the, I diagnosed at 30, I mean, looked probably very different than your friends who were at 30. Yeah, <laughs> we're also partying and drinking. Right. Exactly. You know. Thank you for sharing that. Mary Jane, you had your hand up? I do. And perhaps this is a, a unique experience for me, but I had a garden 360 test. And for three and a half days, I read it wrong. And I read that the spot on my lung was lung cancer. I was so angry those days. I thought, isn't metastatic breast cancer enough? You know, and it took me three days to figure out that was their example. I was not their example. Mm. That was their example of potential treatments. That my, the spot on my lung was just breast cancer spreading. So, you know, it's kind of like I've accepted the breast cancer, but adding something new was just beyond my ability to roll with. I could I could completely understand why. I, I don't I don't sit here at all and go, what? That makes complete sense to me. You know, there's something about the breast cancer being the known, as I was talking about. It's your known. And the thought of having another primary would be very hard. You know, people will say that not even with other cancers, but if they have metastatic breast cancer and they find out their partner is having an affair or they lose their job, or they're losing their um, health insurance, whatever it may be, it's like one more thing added on almost feels insurmountable. And that's where we have to go back again to, okay, that we're in a really big wave right now. 
who's on our shore to help us. And, you know, did the three days have any purpose? Anger that needed to get worked out and, and come to the surface. Um, it's hard to know. Probably really uncomfortable three days and a lot of fear. Not fear, just anger. Anger. It was kind of like, enough already. I also have Crohn's disease. So I thought, you know, enough already. What what happened that you figured out it wasn't, how did you? Well, I looked on their website again and I saw that exact example oh, on, no. their, on their screen. I thought, whoa, wait a minute. Oh. <laughs> I'm looking at this wrong. Oh my gosh, Rudy. I'm so, so glad. Then, oh, then I had a huge relief. And I don't have lung cancer, I just have breast cancer as my lung. Oh. So so it was a cause for celebration. But whoa. Whoa is right. And you know, I, I don't know, it'd be understandable if you were angry that the breast cancer's in your lung too. So, you know, I just have to say again, anger, you know, and what I know about anger um as a therapist is it's so legit, obviously, but what I also know about if we can, because sometimes medical people don't do well with angry patients. They, they tend to, ah, you know, it, because we personalize it. So what I say to them is, why don't you sit with them and ask them what they're the most scared of? Because ultimately under that anger is fear and ultimately under that is grief. And if we can get to that, then we can work with it and not, you know, but why I always say to medical, why wouldn't somebody be angry? You know, and sometimes it is personal. Sometimes the the provider said they were going to do something and they didn't follow through. But the person being angry is about their experience with this disease. And so we, we need to join people in that. I'm really sorry you had to spend three days being angry. I bet that was such a relief when you looked on their website. Something intuitively told you to go to that. Something into so how many people did you have to call and tell them you didn't have lung cancer? Well, I do the caring bridge, so I acknowledged it in my caring bridge because I, I saw the doctor on Wednesday. So Wednesday I did a caring bridge, and the last thing I said, by the way, I am so happy to say I was wrong. Thank you for sharing that, and I am so glad you don't have lung cancer. Right, me too. Mary, did you want to say something? Yes, it's it's related somewhat to what Mary Jane was saying. The the thing that is very difficult for me is that my previous life was autonomous, <laughs> but now my life is centered on the next scan, the treatment schedule, the next test schedule, the you know all of those things that you know you want to just kind of say, well, why? does it matter? <laughs> you know, really, I mean, really, I'm just gonna go when I go and why, like in the beginning, when I was first diagnosed, I just said, well, you know, let's just let it, let life take its course, you know, let whatever happens, happens. And my doctors just looked at me like with this, there were four of them, you know, just saying, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're gonna not get treatment? You know, we're at the mercy of the medications. We're at the mercy of the next treatment. We're at the mercy of, you know, what the research says. And it's not true. <laughs> you know, I know that's not true because every day I am living a life that I choose so many things to do, you know, to live, to think, all of those things. So that to me is 
it it just sometimes gets me, you know, bleary eyed and tired of, uh, you know. So uh, I just wanted to share that, you know, that that um, you know what what is the next pet scan going to show? You know, what is the next? Like, why would I bother taking a guardian test because it might show something new? Why would I bother doing a brain MRI because it might show that there's something up there when I just know there's space up there. <laughs> You know, things like that. So that's that's part of my, uh, you know, how to how to be. I love how you're saying you, you can be in two. You can leave space for the sadness as well as enjoy the moment at the same time. I just am grateful for that. Thank you, Mary. That was so beautifully said. Thank you. And you know, I just would encourage you to keep showing up authentically, like you're doing. You know, and even if it doesn't go with the, sometimes we just have to decide we're going to make our own decision for a moment. And, you know, if they say you really need to do this by next week, it's like, okay, if I want to, I mean, I can understand where you get into that sometimes. And, you know, autonomy looks different, but it isn't a hundred percent lost. And I think we have to remember that it looks different. You know, I don't prescribe also to here you're learning all these things that I um, am kind of a rebel against, but I don't, and again, I work both in oncology and in grief. I don't get into the new normal language because and this doesn't feel normal and this wouldn't feel normal. And somebody losing a sibling to suicide is not a normal thing. So what I like to talk about is the different. We're living in the different. This is our different. So we're navigating our different, but um, nothing about what I've learned from people about metastatic breast cancer would feel like a normal. And I know some people say, oh, it's my new normal this way. And I just, I don't know. There's all, there's all this, what is normal anyways? I, I don't, I don't even know what it is. And so I just say you're living in a different and it looks different. Where can you embrace autonomy still in your life? If that was important for before. We also lose privacy when we're a patient. You know, I mean, I know there's HIPAA laws, but I'm sorry. Anybody that's ever gone to a doctor, I mean, there's just, you just get asked anything and you're just supposed to tell anything. I mean, it's just a very transparent experience that sometimes can feel very unsettling for some people, you know? So Mary, keep creating space for both of it, please. All of us. Thanks, Karen, for coming. Please create space for your sadness and your hope and your joy, and your autonomy, and let it dance. I talk about this in my book, the concept of both and, because it, it's just, it's life-changing, really, versus either or. So many people are going around living their life either or, and there's all this pressure. Either today we're hopeful or we're not. No. In the moment, I don't feel hopeful, but I also, maybe in the next hour, will. I don't know. It's not, it's just... You know, just for right now, I need to be capital B-E with what is. I hope all of you truly can be with what is. I heard an interesting phrase say metastatic breast cancer thriver. Yeah, you know, I, the one thing I've learned is every, um, and if new normal works for you, truly say it. I just have felt it's like, especially in the grief space, people are like, this is not normal. I <laughs> just to live like this. I, I don't to have this kind of pain doesn't I don't want this to be this why is this normal? So if that 
word kind of has grated against you, maybe see if this is my difference. This is just my different from what is. We've got about 10 minutes. If you want to talk or say something, just unmute yourself and just jump right in. I, I want to say that I just turned 66 and, and I got my diagnosis three months after retiring and moving to a new home. What NBC has done for me is uh, helps me appreciate the life I have. Hmm. I was given 10 years, but uh, every year I just say, oh, I've got 10 more years. So, because if I don't, I only have five years left, which would be gross. I have a daughter I wasn't as close to, and now we're closer because we, we know mom's not going to be around forever. And we appreciate, she, I can't explain how she, she shifted. She appreciates a lot of qualities, you know, yeah. and um, I'm appreciating her and letting her know because I won't always be able to be there for her. And I had her late in life, so I knew I wouldn't be around forever. But still, something switched with us because wow. husband and I fell more in love because we won't be together as long as we thought and friends and the beauty where I moved to. And I know it's, it's not like I'm, you know, Pollyanna, but to appreciate these things and to have them is a wonder. Oh, Francie, I love that. And what that brings me to is this concept. I also talk about healing versus curing. So we know that metastatic breast cancer isn't curable right now, and yet there is so many options to still heal. And sometimes that looks like relationships. Sometimes that looks like people might not spend or might not save all their money and spend it on a massage every week because they want to, or they get stronger in their faith, or they heal estranged relationships, or they learn to say, I love you, or they learn to say, please forgive me. Healing is always possible. In fact, I've seen healing up to the last moment of life. So don't ever let anybody take away the healing opportunities from you, no matter what your disease looks like, because we can all heal. Sometimes it's even healing within the self of loving the self. Maybe we haven't loved ourselves or appreciated who we are our entire life. It's remarkable to me because when you said that, I immediately got pissed off that you had to deal with this right after retirement. And we hear that quite often, but I will say that right away you followed up with, and yet I'm so grateful for the life I do have. And that's remarkable to me, Francie, that you're able to do that. Because I, I think a lot of people would be very focused on why, you know, did it happen? But you're not. You're so beautifully present in the moment. And that's remarkable to me, is what I'll say. I just wanted to expand on what Janine had said about the support groups. I've been involved like I guess almost two and a half years now um, and I really look forward to it every week uh, Kelly I'm one of those people who's always been very positive from the very beginning um, my username is going to be this and that's what I said the minute I found out that I was metastatic um, okay. I look at it like you said it's it's not curable at this point but it's controllable and I plan to live a long time and yeah, I was di diagnosed at 68, and so now I'm in my 70s. But 
I am responding really well. And I sometimes feel on the support groups that when people aren't doing so well, I feel a little guilty that I do feel as well as I do. But I just want to say this week, a few things happened. A couple of people actually thanked me for some information that I had given, and that made me feel really good. And um, one person who was on, I think she may still be on here, Christy, I helped her get at the foundation grant for her Visenio, and she wanted to send me flowers. And I told, I told her that I really appreciated that, but if she really wanted to do something to give a donation to breastcancer.org in my honor, and I just wanted to thank her in front of everybody because I so appreciated her doing that. But I like the group because, one, I could lend my positivity to people when they're down. But also, I just learned so much from people, you know, things that I might not be aware of that have helped me, of things that I can use. And I'm one who doesn't believe in medications. I was never on any prescription drugs before I was diagnosed. Um, so this is kind of new to me, but I still do a lot of supplements and natural things. And I'm just very thankful for the group. And I feel that something's missing if I do miss calling in every week. But you have such a beautiful face. Like you're, you have this, you're so, I don't know. I've, I've been watching you. You've just got like this smile and I don't know. You've got this presence about you that I just want you to know. And I, I, I've watched you a couple of times on this call. And this is my first time to my knowledge meeting you. You just, you have a, a gentle face and, um, and what I want to say to you is that when you're doing well and someone else isn't doing well, you still show up for that because you bring hope that maybe they'll be doing well another time. And, you know, people will say that all the time. That's survivor's kind of guilt in a way um, that people will say, I feel bad that they were diagnosed, you know, um, two years after and they died and. I, you know, I'm living and doing well. I think, again, that comes with the space. We can have empathy for that. But the only time we really should feel guilty about anything is when we've intentionally done something. You haven't intentionally hurt this person by doing well. So I think it's important to remember that you show up in these groups and that when people are doing well, you bring hope to those that aren't. And I think that that's the important part. You know, it's that it's that scale of sometimes people are going to be down and sometimes they're going to be up and we sometimes take turns, but please keep showing up because people need to remember that people can do okay some days. I mean, that's a really important thing. I also, on the other hand, because when you're the one that's always doing okay, it's a lot of pressure and you still get to show up and not be okay. And there's been some times that I've had some things and, and the group has been very supportive and very helpful with that. Because sometimes when you're the, you know, cheerleader and everybody sees you that way you don't always feel like you can show up and also have a bad day but you can and that's the one thing I've said I mean I have had so many people say they wish their cancer had the support that metastatic breast cancer has in terms yeah. of their groups um they just they don't all have that and it's such a it's so unique um in so many ways that you truly can be just so close to somebody you've never met I mean, it's, is everybody, Melissa, is everyone um, on this call today from the United States? I know last time there were people from all over. No, we have, we have a variety. Canada is represented, United States, uh, Niger Nigeria. Wonderful. I'm sorry, um, Nairobi, excuse me, Kenya. 
the reason I bring that up is because some countries, you know, it's so great that we have breast cancer or because some countries I have found don't have the kind of support that other countries have. Rose joins us weekly. Rose um, from Nairobi. I don't know if you're still there, Rose. Hi, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> what time is it there and what day is it? This is where in Friday, it's 8 p.m. in the night. Okay, not too bad. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes when I've done talks and Australia has been on the phone, it's like the middle of the night for them the next day. And I am. Now that's dedication. But we're glad you're here, Rose. Thank you. I'm benefiting so much. Thank you so much for all the information you've shared with us. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. We have time. I just wanted to say, um, you know, the, the title of this was The Losses. I would say the group is such a game, mm -hmm. such a clear game. And it's just like the conversations that we have and just learning and listening, learning from one another, grieving with one another, learning how we live and die with the disease. It's um, such a gift and the opposite of loss and so you know there's many things that that it takes from us but this is such a gain and um i'm about to be 55 and my first breast cancer was when i was 33 and um this was way presumed and so to have this now is um just such a gift and it's a it's a real a real gain Laura, I'm so happy to hear that. I, again, I think that's why, you know, we talk about the space for both. So if you if you get nothing else out of this, um, please get that there's room for both of these experiences. And I'm real grateful um, to all of you. And I would encourage you guys to do something today to honor Metastatic Breast Cancer Day, whether that's um, light a candle. I know several of the communities are doing light up um, live, um, lighting up bridges, lighting up different things. And so whatever you need to do today, and it's not saying you're glad you have this, it's saying I'm honoring the experience and honoring the experience and how I show up every day. And like Laura just said, I'm honoring the people that support me through this um, because I think that that and at the same time, this might be a day for you to reflect on also what you, what you grieve. And so, but it's an important day. And I hope your family and friends are aware of what the day is in that they're embracing you with softness and love. And so my hope for each one of you today is that when you go to bed tonight, um, and for Rose, that's going to be sh soon. But when you go to bed tonight, that you're going to feel heard and loved and have moments of hope today thank you for being here kelly as always we we just uh we love having you oh i and love i love being with you guys so thank you yeah um, thanks everybody for showing up today and wish you a good weekend and kelly again you want to say your final goodbye here for the group yes and so thank you. Um, Thank you all and truly come find me over on social media at conversations with kelly or see my grief on instagram a lot of interaction and um certainly lots of people living with metastatic breast cancer that are on there so 
Um, so much love for everybody and be kind to you. And we'll see you again in the future, I hope, Melissa. So thanks for the honor of coming. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.